It's great to have you with us this morning. We're so glad that you're sharing the morning with us at Pathway Church. If you see anybody with one of these candy canes, ask them for some. But then beyond that, thank them for serving. All of our volunteers, uh, people that play a role in a ministry team, have been given one of these just to say thanks. And so if you see that, make sure you thank them for all that they do each week for us here at Pathway Church. Yeah, let's give it up for our volunteers. You bet. Now, I got to say, I got to say, there's at least one person in this room that didn't pray for me last week like I asked because, guess what, I ended up with the cold. I was asking for you guys to cover me in prayer last week, and it didn't work. It caught up to me. I was fighting. I'm the last of the Mohicans, and I went down with, not without a fight, man. Friday night, I started, and all week, my wife has been asking me, you all right? You all right? And I'm like, I'm fine. I'm not getting this. I'm just, you know, I'm going to power through it. And man, I kept hitting the gym all the way through Thursday. I was trying to eat healthy and get my rest and all that. And Friday night, I started feeling my way of knowing if I get a cold is weird, but my legs start aching. And I, I was sitting watching TV on Friday and I started feeling the ache. And I'm like, oh no. And um, Didi said, are you all right? I said, <clears throat> I don't know. And then Saturday I got up, and of course, I had a fever Saturday. I'm pretty sure I'm running a fever today, so I'm not avoiding you. If you, if you think today, Bart's avoiding me. He's not even talking to me. I'm not. I promise. I love you. I'm just trying to keep you away from this. It went through our whole family. My wife uh, went to my son, went to um, our other son away at school. He was with us over the holidays and Thanksgiving. Went to Brooke, and I was the last one, and it hit me. So you do not want this, all right? So, I love you from a distance, okay? Everybody do a group hug with me right now. Just say, I love you, okay? I love you guys. Good to see you. I'm glad you're here today. I'm excited about this morning. It is part three of our series. Here we are in this series called The Gifts of Christmas. And over the last couple of weeks, you can listen on our podcast if you'd like to catch up. We've been talking about the gifts of purpose, and we talked about Mary and how that God had a purpose for her life. Um, we talked about the gift of peace last week with the shepherds and how that that peace was something that was brought to everyone, and we really uh, dug in on that. Today, we talk about hope. Say that word with me, hope. On the screen, you actually see our Christmas tree, part of our Christmas tree from our house, and I have the ornament right here. The other day, I was uh, um, actually doing some reading, and I, I looked up on our Christmas tree. My wife likes to have her tree positioned. You were at our house not too long ago, and positioned so that when we sit on the couch, we see the tree. And uh, this is pretty much right in the middle, top middle of the tree. And I knew that I was speaking on hope, and it got my attention. And I thought, well, that is a really cool ornament to have. It's a reminder. Um, hope is something that is talked about a lot. I mean, it is used for all kinds of things. Not too long ago, it was used for a presidential campaign. You know, that word hope. Hope is used for all kinds of, of ideas and concepts and thoughts. And, and, and hope sounds like a great thing until you realize that hope is always connected with waiting. Hope, get that down with me, is always connected with waiting. Just fill in on your blank. First one right at the top. Hopefully you grab that full page outline. And we're going to fill in the blanks together. Hope, say it with me, hope is always connected with waiting. It's true. I hope I get this job. I'm waiting to hear back from them. I hope I make it through this. I'm waiting to see. I hope I get a date. I'm waiting for a chance to ask her out. I hope I get a second date. I'm waiting for him to call. I hope I get what I want for Christmas. I can hardly wait. Hope is always connected with what? Waiting. And here's the bummer. No one likes to wait. 
How many of you would agree with me on that one? No one likes to wait. This is, a, this is a really bad season to be talking about waiting, right? If you are out at all on the weekends like I was a little bit yesterday, you're waiting in traffic, you're waiting in lines, you're waiting everywhere. I mean, you take a poll of the least popular things to do and waiting has got to be near the top on everybody's list. No one likes to wait, but everyone does. Huh. We're always waiting for something right? When there's always something we're looking forward to or not looking forward to. In this Christmas season, we, we wait for the party. We wait for school to get out. We wait for the family to come. We wait for everything to slow down so we can take a breath. In the year ahead, we're, we're waiting for work to get better. We're waiting for parenting to get easier. We're waiting for school to end. We're always waiting for something or waiting for someone, but we're always waiting. Turn to the person next to you and just tell them, you're always waiting. You may be waiting for this sermon to be done and we can go on with our day. I don't know. You know, you're waiting, you're waiting for something. Waiting, waiting, waiting. We all wait for something. Waiting to be seated, waiting in traffic, waiting in lines. It feels like we spend half our time waiting. Sometimes it seems like all we do is hurry up to wait, Right? question that I want you to ask yourself is, what am I wait, uh, waiting for? What are you waiting for? What are you hoping for right now in your life? Luke chapter 2 is a story, I'm sure, a narrative that almost all of us are very familiar with. As I mentioned in the first study of this series, the Christmas story is always a difficult one for me as a teacher, preacher, because it's a story that you know. It's a story that you know how it ends. You know what takes place. Some of you could tell the story better than I could. And so we all know where this is going. And to, to hear something fresh and new, it's a difficult thing to, to really hone in on. Um, but in this story, this Luke chapter 2, it tells us about the birth of Jesus. And Caesar Augustus, he declared, decreed a census. And so people were returning to their hometowns. And Joseph and very pregnant Mary travel to Bethlehem, where Joseph was from. And of all things, Mary goes into labor there. And there's no room to stay. So Mary gives birth to a baby in a stable and lays the baby in a what? Help me out. Manger. And at the same time, angels surprise shepherds with good news. These shepherds travel to see the baby and they find him in a what? Manger. And then... We're stepping into Luke chapter 2, into a passage that not many of us are familiar with, because it's not really talked about a lot. Take a look. Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. So on the eighth day, a Jewish baby boy would be circumcised. It's a sign of God's covenant. It's marking Jesus as part of the people that God has called, that God has blessed. Prior to eight days, a baby in this culture, in this time, would not be named, mainly because there was a high infant mortality rate. And they wanted to make sure that the baby lasted longer than eight days. So if your baby lived to be eight days old, you would name him. And this baby was named Jesus. The name that had been given not only to Mary, but also to Joseph. And then around 40 days later or so, 
According to the law of Moses in Leviticus 12, Mary and Joseph left Bethlehem and traveled six miles to Jerusalem to go to the temple to offer sacrifices, the appropriate sacrifice for purification, but also dedicating him as their firstborn. Take a look. Then it was time for the purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law says if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered a sacrifice according to what was required in the law, either a pair of turtle doves or pigeons. Now, I want you to get this. Mary and Joseph offer a sacrifice at the temple. Those who couldn't afford a lamb, which was really required, meaning that they were a low-income family, they could offer, could bring two turtle doves or two pigeons instead. And so what I want you to get is these are faithful Jews. Mary and Joseph are faithful Jews who carefully do everything that the law requires of them. And it says that at that time, verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was a righteous and devout and He was eagerly waiting, circle those two words, eagerly waiting. We're going to talk about them in just a minute. He was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. So Simeon was just this normal, ordinary Jewish man living in Jerusalem. But the key was, he was waiting. Just like you and I, he was waiting for something. He was waiting for someone. For hundreds of years, the people of Israel had been waiting, hoping for someone, hoping for the Messiah to come and liberate them and free them. They had lived as occupied people. Most recently, they were occupied by the Roman Empire. They hadn't heard from God. Over 400 years had passed since the last prophet of God said anything from God. There was silence for 400 years. Feels like God had forgotten them. Feels like God had given up on them. Maybe God didn't care about what they were feeling or facing anymore. Generation after generation of silence. And now, many had lost hope. But not Simeon. Simeon never lost hope in who God was and what he had promised. Simeon, it says, was eagerly waiting. Say those two words with me, eagerly waiting. I want you to catch what what this means. He was eagerly waiting. This is anticipating. This this is expecting something to happen. He wasn't just (sighs) waiting. He was waiting. Everybody follow me? He was looking for something to happen. He was eagerly waiting. Most people were too busy with their lives. They they weren't expecting anything to take place. They were so busy that they weren't even noticing what was taking place around them. But Simeon, not Simeon, he was focused on the hope of God's plan. Simeon woke up every morning thinking, could today be the day? Could today be the day that God changes everything? Do you wake up like that? In whatever area that you're waiting for, that something or someone to take place, maybe it's something that is brand new, but you need God to do something. Maybe it's something that you've been thinking about, praying about, carrying in your life for a long time, and you need God to do something. Do you wake up every morning saying, this could be the day? 
Maybe it's today that God's going to do something that will change everything. Simeon wanted this more than anything else, and yet he was waiting. Sometimes that's what God calls us to do, is to wait. Wait for his plan. Sometimes that's all God wants us to do, is to wait for his plan. We're told in verse 25 that the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. That's a key phrase. Sometimes we read right past those kinds of things, but I want, you to, I want you to catch this. Not too long ago, we talked about the Holy Spirit right here at Pathway Church, and we did this series, this study about it. What's interesting is he was a man that was uniquely anointed by the Spirit of God. In, in this time, this was unusual. Before the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, people were, were anointed specifically for specific tasks, but then the Holy Spirit would leave them. And we see that throughout the Old Testament. And, and when the, the day of Pentecost took place, the Holy Spirit came and dwelt on followers of God. But here's Simeon, and it says that the Holy Spirit was upon him. This means a permanent thing, that the Holy Spirit had anointed him, had chosen him to do something very specific for God. Look what happens. The Holy Spirit was upon him, and he had revealed to Simeon that Simeon would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now, we don't know how old Simeon was, but that's quite a promise, don't you think? That you're not going to die until you see something that God's going to do. I mean, that, that's quite a promise, to not die until he sees the one who would change the world. Simeon, you're, you're going to live until the Messiah gets here. I mean, think about how you can live your life. I mean, his wife would say, honey... You know, the doctor told you to stay off the cholesterol. You know, you shouldn't be eating those saturated fats. And he goes, ah, Messiah's not here yet. I'm not going to die. Right? I mean, come on. Hey, hey, you shouldn't go too close to the cliff here. Let's, let's stay over on this side. Ah, it doesn't matter. The Messiah's not here. I'm not going to die. Right? I mean, think about how he could live his life. And yet at the same time, think about the expectancy it would create. The anticipation. Hmm. It's an amazing thing to know, to know it would happen in your lifetime. Simeon has been anticipating this day all of his life. And today is the day. The Holy Spirit nudges him, and Simeon is paying attention. Take a look. That day, come on, say those with me. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon what? was there. Simeon was there. That day, Simeon was there. Wow. People coming and going. This was a common occurrence. Parents would come and bring their babies to be dedicated and offer sacrifices. Hundreds and hundreds of people were coming in and out all over the temple. Most people would ignore this couple and their baby. They were just ordinary, low-income family walking through the temple courtyard. But on this day, the Holy Spirit directed Simeon to this family. I mean face of this old man must have lit up, right? This couple walking in. God says to Simeon, Simeon, that's him. That's them. 
That's the one you've been waiting for all your life. The Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world has just entered the room. That's him. The Spirit of God leads Simeon to the place where Mary and Joseph are. The place where God is doing something with this little baby boy. Can you imagine him taking this child walking up. I mean, this is all new. Mary and Joseph, they don't know Simeon, and Simeon doesn't know Mary and Joseph. He just walks up and sticks out his hands and says, may I? Now, come on, moms. Is that something you would normally do? Hand off your baby to a stranger? No. But for whatever reason, it happens. And maybe this is a God-anointed thing, and maybe Mary sensed in her, in her heart, in her spirit, that something was a God thing going on right now. But whatever the case, she hands off this baby, and, and it says that he took the child in his arms, and he praised God. You can almost see his hands shaking. It's, his, his tears earing up, uh, uh, t- his eyes rather, tearing up, his ears tearing up, his eyes tearing up because this, this is the one that he has waited for all of his life. He is holding the Savior of the world in his hands. Since he took the child in his arms, he praised God. Look what he says. Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. Now, we, we look at that first part and we go, well, he just, he's ready to go. He, he, you know, he's ready to die. God, God fulfilled the promise. He's ready to die. No, that's not really the part that we need to catch. We need to catch the last part of what he says. As you have what? Promised. Huh. See, when he sees the baby, when he holds the baby, Simeon knows that God just made good on his promise. God faithful to his promises. And before Jesus did anything to bring salvation to the world, Simeon declared, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people, more than personal now. He's holding this baby and it's more than personal. Simeon knows what Jesus would do for everyone, not just for the Jews, but salvation for all people. Simeon says he is a light to reveal God to the nations and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon knew that God was going global before anybody else did. This is the good news, full of hope, established in God's faithfulness for all people. Aren't you glad for that? I mean, I don't know if you're a Jew, Jewish ethnic group in this room or not, but I'm not. And I'm so glad that even though I may be what the Bible calls a Gentile, a non-Jew, I get in on this promise that this was for all people, you and me. Simeon knew it that day, full of hope established in God's faithfulness for all people. There's three words in this text that have grabbed me all week and I, and I could not shake loose from them. And so I kept asking God, God, what do you want me to, to share about these three words as we wrap off today? They, they kept grabbing me and they were making me think. We've already read it. When Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, Simeon was there. 
Come on, Sam with me. Simeon was there. Right in the middle of all that God was doing, Simeon was there. Simeon plays a key role in God's unfolding plan. He was there. And so you got to ask the question, why was Simeon there? Well, I mean, we know. We know the Holy Spirit led him to that. We, we, we've already read that. But I think there's more to it than that. I think he was there because Simeon believed, get this down, God is faithful to do what he says he will do. God is faithful to do what he says he will do. And Simeon knew this. And today, there are some of us in this room and maybe online that need to be reminded of this, that God is faithful to do what he says. God will do what he says he will do. And if he said it, he will do it. He has never promised anything without accomplishing it. There is nothing that he has ever said that he did not do. Some of us have been waiting a long time for God to do something, and we are beginning to lose hope. Often we, we fail to realize that change is a process that takes time. That, that may be a word for somebody here today. You've been asking God to change something in your life or in the lives of people around you or maybe in your workplace or in school or wherever. You've been asking God to change something and you need to hear the fact that change is a process that takes time. And waiting is part of that. Sometimes we fail to realize that God is working while we wait. It appears that nothing is taking place and we wait and we wait and we ask and we ask and we beg and we beg and we get desperate and nothing is changing, nothing is happening, we think. But all along, God is working. Came to mind this week. How many months had passed? Remember Mary was told by the angel that you will conceive by the Holy Spirit. Remember that part of Luke 2? How many months? We're, we're still in Luke 2. How many months have taken, pl- past, uh, taken place rather, throughout Luke 2? And now we're eight days after the baby, actually 48 days after the baby was born. So this baby is always, already, what, six weeks old? So, so we're talking, you know, what, nine, ten months plus six weeks? I mean, they, somebody could have told Simeon a year ago that this was going to, no, he didn't. So what was, what was Simeon doing all that year? Was that that last year where his hope was dying and he's wondering, God, you've promised this and you promised that I would see the Messiah before I died. Is this the year? Is this the year? Is this the year? All that year. But now Simeon was there. You know, I think if Simeon was here today, I think he would tell us what Hebrews 10 says. Let us hold tightly to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. God can be trusted to keep his promise. God is faithful to do what he says he'll do. The passage in Luke 2 says that when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, say it with me again, Simeon was there. Right in the middle of all that God was doing, Simeon wasn't there by accident. You know what? He was paying 
attention. He saw what others missed because they weren't paying attention, but he was. He experienced what others did not experience. Why? Because he was paying attention when no one else was. He was the old man who had been waiting on God to move for a long time, and he was there when it happened because Simeon was paying attention to the nudge of the Holy Spirit. How many others noticed that the Son of God had just walked into the room? No one. Not even the religious. He was paying attention to what God was doing. He was paying attention because he didn't want to miss God. This should speak to us. This this should bother us. See, We need to realize that I can miss, you can miss what God is doing if I'm not paying attention. That's for you today. You can miss what God is doing if you're not paying attention. You know, the crazy thing about Christmas is if we're not careful, we can get so busy in Christmas that we miss Jesus. We miss the whole point. Here in this quiet place today, maybe, Jesus is showing up. And for those of us who are paying attention, we get in on what God is doing. Simeon was there because he believed God is faithful. Simeon was there because he was paying attention to what God was doing. And we can only imagine what kind of joy must have filled his heart when he realized that the baby he was holding was God making good on his promise. That God was being faithful. What he had hoped for all of these years happened. See, if you believe what God promises and if you're paying attention, I believe that that waiting that you do is what hope is all about. I want you to get this down. Hope is believing what God promises and waiting on him to do it. Hope is believing what God promises and waiting on him to do it. And I think that's a gift that God wants to give you and I, is the ability to wait, because we all know that there are times we have to wait And God comes into our life and he says, have hope. Don't give up. Don't quit too early. Wait. Wait for him and see what he does. For over 2,000 years, Jesus has been tapping people on the shoulder who have come to the end of their hope. When everything feels hopeless and they realize and experience that Jesus is the hope of the world. I believe that. One last thing. Read it with me again. When Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, come on, right here, Simeon was there. Something I see in this. And I know that this is is just semantics, and and I'm reading into this, but I think this applies. Simeon was there. What what I mean by that is he was present in the moment. 
Everybody follow me with this? He wasn't distracted. He wasn't too busy. He wasn't preoccupied. Simeon was there. And because he was there in the moment, he experienced what God was doing. See, too many people live their lives in third person. Now, you may not be a video gamer. I, my, you know, my home is a video game home because my son not only works for Sony, but he's been a video gamer as long as I can remember, Caleb. Yeah, and, and my other son is into video games, not so much my daughter's, but my other son is too. And so there's this language, and Caleb uses this language with me quite, quite often about first person and third person and all this kind of stuff. So if you're not a gamer, let me just explain what, what this is. In, in, in certain video games... Third person is a way that you view over the shoulder or you can see your character as you play. Go ahead, show us. This is a third person view. So that's you, but you're watching you. Everybody follow that? So that's a third person view. As you're playing, you see you. But some of us live our lives like this. We It's like we're looking over our shoulder of ourselves. We're watching ourselves interact with life and with other people, but we're not really engaging. We're just watching it happen around us. We're living our lives third person. I don't think that's the way life's supposed to be lived. Friends, life is supposed to be lived in the first person, directly through your own eyes. I mean, take a look at this. This is the same game, but now you're seeing it through first-person view. Everybody see the difference? You, You are seeing through the character's eyes, engaging in life, engaging with others directly. See, get this. In Luke 2, Simeon was there. He was present in the moment. He wasn't distracted. He wasn't too busy. He wasn't preoccupied. Simeon was right in the middle of all that God was doing. And I believe, friends, God is doing something in your life right now. In fact, I want to ask you a question. Do you realize that you are in the middle of what God is doing in your life? And I think sometimes we need to back up and ask that of ourselves. Do I realize this? Am I living my life third person where I'm not really in the moment and I'm, I'm so distracted and so preoccupied that I'm not really experiencing it? It's almost as if I'm looking over the shoulder at myself living life when God is saying, be in the moment, be here. Because God is doing something in your life, whether you realize it or not. I mean, here's a big one. You may be in this room. I think you may be in this room because God is doing something in your life. And if we realize that we're in the middle of what God is doing in our lives, it changes everything. Because then we can not only sense him and hear his voice, we can respond to him See, here's, here's the thing. It's your choice. You, you can live life third person or you can be there 
and experience in the moment, in this moment, today, what God wants to do in your life. Would you bow your heads with me?